faith that shakes. This is part 45. We're going to finish up Acts 27, get into Acts 28, which is the last chapter. We're wrapping up Acts, and we're going to jump into Genesis next and get some amazing stuff over there. I want to say a prayer, and we'll get right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts as only you can through your word, God. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Now, we are, get you a card also. Don't forget the Easter cards. Get you a card. Get you a card. I'm telling you, I got a message for Easter Sunday. Oh, I'm so excited about it. I'm telling you, you're going to want to be there. Uh, so, so invite somebody. We uh, were looking at the last part of Acts 27. I want to kind of pick it up at verse 22. I know we read this last time, but just kind of jumping into it, we need to, we need to touch base here. Verses 22 through 26, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God. Remember, Paul's on a ship. They're in trouble. They're in dire straits. They're having all kinds of issues. And an angel of God stood beside him. He says, The angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So we see this angel. We've seen angels before in the book of Acts. Paul said, this is an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And this angel stood by Paul in the middle of a storm. We have this understanding that heaven called Paul, Paul, because that wasn't his original name. Heaven says, don't be afraid, and, and admonishes him that he will get where God has called him to go and, and encourages him along those lines. But there's these ominous last words. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So let's pick it up at verse 27. We'll go 27 to 29. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that we were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And then they had gone a little further. When they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, remember they had pulled the skiff up into the boat earlier, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, hoping to escape under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, so, so here's this idea of the sailors are wanting to leave. They're kind of sneaking around, going to drop the skiff, get on and leave. So the water's getting more and more shallow, just like Paul had said. They're going to run aground. They had to run aground, he said. And it's happening just like he said. But notice the influence of Paul in verse 31. It says, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers, notice this, cut away the ropes of the skiff 
and let it fall off. So now Paul has this tremendous influence, right? They let the boat go, the, the skiff go, their little lifeboat. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today's the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So they got rid of their lifeboat, they eat, and then they get rid of the food. So here's the deal. Now they're listening to Paul. Like, he's got huge influence. They're not about to have another, I told you so, come out of Paul's mouth. We saw that last time. He told them not to sail the first go around. They wouldn't have been in this trouble to begin with. So he's like, they don't want that again. I told you so. So look at verse 39. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. So now they got rid of their anchors. They're, they're losing a lot here. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. So they've, they've kind of hit ground in the front. The waves are hitting the back and tearing it apart. Now the soldiers are planning to kill the prisoners. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest come on board. So you got some sailors who couldn't swim, right? And he's like, those of you who can swim, get overboard and swim to land. The rest, just get on some broken boards and whatever and, 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 and float for a while. So it was that they all escaped safely to land. Again, they didn't want to have another Paul moment where he says, I told you so. And they, they wanted to kill the, soul, the, the, the prisoners and... As bad as that is, you've got to understand, had those prisoners escaped, those soldiers would have been killed. It would be better for the prisoners to be killed than for them to escape. So that's why they were looking to do that, but there's this intervention. Don't do that. Don't do that because he wanted to save Paul, the centurion. So there's this confidence that has built in the centurion with the word of Paul, and the soldiers listened to the centurion. And so now we are in chapter 28, and it starts to get really interesting. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? It's a shipwreck. It's like Pirates of the Caribbean, right? And so here we are, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 28. Now when they had escaped, 
then they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness and they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. I've got a picture of the natives from Malta. Here's a picture right here. So the natives were very kind to them, right? Opie and Beatrice and Maltese dogs from the island of Malta. These are the natives. They're very kind. They're licking them and being sweet, kindled a fire, made us all welcome. It was this unusual kindness. Made us uh, a fire, made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because it was cold. So here they are, these natives. That's really not what they look like. But they're probably, these were their pets. You know they had Maltese dogs, right? They had to have them. I love the the fact that it says the islanders showed them unusual kindness by kindling a fire and making them feel welcome. Do you know why these people were so welcoming to this party? I'll tell you why. Because God had prepared them. God in his foresight knew he had foreordained that they go to this certain island. Remember when Jonah was thrown overboard? The Bible says that God had prepared a fish. It wasn't random that that fish ate Jonah. That fish was prepared to eat Jonah. Years before, you know, and all those zillions of fish eggs were out and and then it, you know, hatched or whatever, however the big fish are born. And so this big old fish, it was prepared to eat Jonah. That's, that's what it was supposed to do. Its life was spent in search of Jonah, just like that, just like that. God prepared these islanders to receive Paul these prisoners, these soldiers, and the reason why was so they could revive this crew, warm them up, and get Paul ready so he could preach the gospel to this island. Now, remember when Paul told them, he said, we have to go aground, we have to run aground on a certain island. Well, this is that ground, and this is that island. In other words, they are right where they were supposed to be. How many of you you know that sometimes God will get you exactly where you need to be in a way that you never saw it coming, right? All of a sudden, you're where you need to be, but man, what a trip that was. I mean, there was a storm There was a shipwreck. There were a few disasters. There were some people wanting to kill you. There was all kind of issues, right? And all of a sudden, God has gotten you right where you're supposed to be. That's the way God works in His providence. In His providence. He can get you to where you need to be in ways that you couldn't have predicted. I'm reminded of Gideon. I taught about him this afternoon in a Bible study. The children of Israel were under the oppression of the Midianites. 
And old Gideon, Gideon was, was threshing wheat at a wine press. The story's in Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. I'm going to read here. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and said unto the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. It's like Oprah Winfrey, right? Which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord. I love that opening line. That makes me think of me sometimes. Oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So these Midianites were oppressing the children of Israel. And old Gideon is out at a wine press. Here's the deal. They didn't even have wheat, much less wine. So he's going out and stealing wheat and going to the wine press to thresh it because that's the last place the Midianites will think to look for somebody, one of the Israelites. So it's a sneaky thing. It's a guerrilla warfare type tactic he's really brave and courageous it's not that he's a chicken he's really out there doing something brave and courageous and the angel of the lord likes that right god likes that sees the courage and says oh you're a mighty man of valor and the thing that blows my mind is just he just just out of his belly right comes from from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and he just immediately says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where, listen to what he says, are the miracles that our forefathers told us about when they came out of Egypt with a strong right hand? How did that happen? Where are those miracles? I'm looking for miracles, and all I've got is oppression. Think about it. He's throwing out all these questions. Where are the miracles? I don't understand this. And so you know the story. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to recruit, I'm going to recruit some men. And so what he does is he says, I want you guys to come to me that are willing to fight for the Lord. And you know how many he gets? He gets 32,000, right? 32,000 men show up. Now, the Midianites, there's a bunch of them. There's more of them. But at least he gets 32,000 men to fight. We're going somewhere. 32,000 men to fight. And, and so here's what happens. The Lord says, Gideon, son, you got too many. You got too many men. He's got to be thinking, I don't have enough. God says, you got too many. You got 32,000. If you win with these 32,000 men, he said, you're going to take credit for it. You're going to think it was you and your military skills and your prowess that made it happen. He said, so I want you to get up and say, if you're scared, go home. And so Gideon gets up, and he's certainly thinking, he's not going to have any scaredy cats, right? So he says, listen, the Lord wants me to kind of shrink this crowd a little bit. We're going to thin the herd. If you're scared, I want you to go ahead and go home. And you know how many leave? 22,000. 22,000 leave. Think about Gideon, mighty man of valor, guerrilla warfare, at the wine press, threshing wheat, 
secretly, clandestine, sneaking around, spying, doing the, like he's a brave man, mighty man of valor. And he's thinking, you know, these people are like me. 22,000 leave. He's got 10,000 left. Wow, that was a blow. Didn't see that coming. And so the Lord says, that's still too many, Gideon. You got too many. Gideon's like, you got to be kidding. No, I don't. The Lord's like, you got too many. Here's what I just want you. Here's a big test. Go to the water. The ones that get dropped down on all fours, put their sword down and stick their head in the water, just like drink the water. He said, those guys, send them home. But the ones that kneel down with their sword in hand and they kind of lap it up like this, he said, that's the ones I want you to keep. And so he's thinking, this is, you know he's wanting to tell them that, right? Listen, guys, when you go drink the water, I want you to kneel down. You, I would want to cheat. Wouldn't you want to cheat? Gideon doesn't cheat, though. He just kind of says, we're going to go get some water. Go ahead. And to his dismay, 9,700 of his men are on all fours doing that right there. You know what I mean? He's got left 300. You know what God says? Perfect. Perfect. I want to get it where it's totally impossible. You were asking me where are our, all the miracles. And if you're going to have a miracle, you've got to be in a position that requires one. And you are in a position that has not required a miracle. It just required strength. And I've put you and positioned you in a position where your strength is not enough. You ask me where the miracles are. The miracles are in the impossible. I've told you before, Brother Marcelli, I called him one time in the early days of LifePoint, probably three or four years into the plant, and we were in an impossible situation. Finances were all janky, and we had all kind of stuff going on, and I was worried and concerned. I called Brother Marcelli expecting him to, like, you know, commiserate and say, Donovan, it's going to work out, man, no problem. So what does he do? I call and say, Brother Marcelli, we're in a jam. He's like, what's up, Donovan? I said, well, we've got this and we've got that and we've got this and the money. I just don't know what we're going to do with us. Brother Marcelli's like, awesome. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Pastor? You know, He's like, oh, this is wonderful. And I said, why is this wonderful? He said, all you need for a miracle is a disaster. And you've got an awesome disaster. And God's going to give you a miracle. And you know what he did? He did it. Because we still here. Devil, we're still here today. How many of you can say that? Devil, I'm still here today. And I want to tell you something. The same God that brought you this far will take you the rest of the way. If you need another miracle, just let him step in. Let go and let God. Because he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll lead and guide you. He'll get you where you need to go. Give him some praise right now. Hallelujah. Woo. <laughs> Hallelujah. Brother Marcelli, that was such an encouraging word. It really wasn't. It was actually so discouraging. But you know what? I took the medicine and I saw God do the impossible. Miracles require impossibilities. Maybe you wanted some miracles and you've asked God, where are the miracles? And you find yourself in need of one. Well, 
You asked for it, right? You asked for it. So here is Paul in the perfect will of God with an angel speaking to him, giving him direction from the throne of heaven itself. And he has success and he has this I told you factor working on his behalf where they don't listen to him and he's able to say, I told you so. And so now they're like listening to everything he has to say. And then notice verse 3. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man's a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. So he's in a perfect will of God. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the great apostle Paul. Now I think this is interesting. He's not too big for his britches. He's not like, I'm the great apostle. Would you please go pick up the sticks for me while I meditate on the word? An angel may come along at any moment and speak to me. I wouldn't want to be distracted picking up sticks. He's like always serving. He's getting his hands dirty all the time. So here he is. He's out picking up sticks. I think that's amazing. Always a servant. And then as he's serving in humility, in the perfect will of God, he's attacked by a snake that the islanders see as deadly. Out of the fire comes a serpent. Let me just say this. Please don't think because you're in the perfect will of God that the devil has forgotten about you. Don't think that because you have built a fire. I know the scripture is not saying this explicitly, but let's just even put it like this. Just because you're around a Holy Ghost fire, right, that the devil is going to let you off the hook now because he's like the Lord. He's always after you. He's always pursuing you. He will never leave you nor forsake you permanently. He's always coming around. He's always after you. But the Lord will never leave you. The Lord will guide you. And where he guides, he will provide. Don't fear. Don't panic. Because your God has got this. Your God can take care of it. Paul doesn't freak out like many of us would have, right? I mean, think about it. I got a cat to kill my snakes for me. Hemingway, boy, he does a good job. Wow, he does a good job. But, but Paul, you know, those Maltese, <laughs> they, just, they don't kill the snake. And uh, this snake jumps, and he doesn't freak out. Ah! And then they're telling him it's deadly. You know, we, we're like, what kind of snake was that? What kind of snake? Like, Paul doesn't freak out. The islanders are saying this is a deadly snake. And, and then they also assess the attack. That's a deadly snake, obviously, You're out of the will of God. Obviously, something's wrong with you. And so I'm reminded, I thought about this, Brother brother Bernard, Brother Elton Bernard, years ago, went to Korea. We've talked about that. Went to Korea. He was here just a little, right before he passed away. And Brother Bernard 
was, got a word from God, go to Korea, be a missionary. And he said, we're going. And they were just about ready to go, and they had a car wreck, injured the whole family. And you know what people said to him? You're out of the will of God. Trying to take your family all the way across the world. Like, who, do you, who are you kidding? God's trying to tell you something. He's like, no, no, no. God already told me something. So you're not going to go? Oh, no. We're going. Well, you had a car wreck. Well, when we get healed up, we're gone. Well, maybe God's trying to tell you. No, God already told me something. So he was in the will of God. But that didn't mean the devil wasn't going to fight him, try to kill him, try to wipe his family out, try to get him distracted. The devil's always after us, right? But you just got to stay true and not freak out. Just be true to the word. Paul's reaction, verse 5, he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. Don't walk away when the devil attacks. Don't freak out when the devil attacks. As a matter of fact, let me put it this way. I know the scripture's not saying this, but let's just put it in Holy Ghost fire terms. Don't quit coming to church when the devil attacks and you're, you've got all kind of issues that start rising up. Just shake it off in the fire. Shake it off in the fire. Because I'm going to tell you what, when you choose to stay faithful and when you choose to worship anyway and when you choose to give God the praise when the situation seems hopeless and when you don't walk away when the enemy comes to you and others are criticizing you, there's something powerful that takes place. The devil cannot take that kind of heat. He can't stay around that kind of fire. And I want to encourage you, just keep on worshiping anyway. Keep God, giving God the praise anyway because because in the end, you'll just shake it off. Everybody say, shake it off. Stay near the fire. Verse 6, however, wow, and i got to hurry. They were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Isn't that awesome? Like, here's their faith. However, they were expecting. You know, Paul just shakes it off. And he's surrounded by people expecting him to swell up like a toad, Right? And suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and so no harm come to him. So here they are staring. They're like, he going to swell up. He going to fall over dead. Watch. How many seconds? It's a black mamba. You know, one of those kind of things. Any second now, he going to swell up like a big old stuck toad. And he's going to fall over dead. And they're watching. and they watch. But after a long, so they're staring at it. It had to be weird, right? He shook it off. They're all staring at him. Then notice it says, they changed their minds when it didn't happen and said he was a god, right? So he went from being a murderer that justice has caught up with to he's a god. He must be a god. All of this, though, was a setup. God was setting Paul up, that shipwreck, that snake, setting Paul up for this incredible miracle that took place. Look at verse 7. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. The Greek for that is diarrhea. No, I'm just kidding. That's on the podcast. My bad. Paul went into him and prayed. Listen to this. And he laid his hands on him 
and healed him. I'm telling you something. There are key people that God will put in your path that if we can affect them, they will connect us to others, many others. I call them super connectors. Publius was a super connector, and his father was sick, and it just so happened because of a shipwreck, 14 days out there wandering around, not eating anything, lightening the ship, all kind of, all those situations happened because this man's father was sick, and God was trying to get Paul to the right place at the right time. And I love the fact that Paul was bold and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. And I'm closing. Yesterday we had the governor's prayer breakfast, and it was great. I go every year. It's a lot of fun. I brought two of our board members and two of our staff members. We had a great time down there with John Bell Edwards and a bunch of other highfalutin folks, right? And, uh, and we were highfalutin too. There we are. Did the governor's prayer breakfast. Had a great time. Uh, very cool. I could talk about it. But it's neat. But after that, uh, I went to a pastor's briefing that I go to every year. And at the pastor's briefing, uh, Coach O and his wife Kelly were there and uh, spoke to us and were interviewed and, and heard a little bit of their testimony. And uh, We prayed with them. It was pretty cool. The neat story, Coach O from the bayou and a Catholic, and uh, God got a hold of his life, uh, started dealing with him, still, still leading him and guiding him, and Kelly as well, and started talking to them. And there was one little story I wanted to bring out with this and, and uh, tie it in. What was so cool was Coach O was trying to find his ways. He's trying to figure out things, and, and he, he, he has prayed for. He's called into a, a Protestant pastor's office. Pastor Steve, I know him. Pulls him in and, and says, Coach O, we want to pray for you. Now, this guy's Roman Catholic, raised, born, that kind of thing. This is all, it starts getting a little weird, Dave. Starts getting a little weird at this point. He goes in, he's a little skeptical to begin with. And he says, just say that we're going to pray for you. We're going to lay hands on you. And he said, Coach O said, he said, he said while, while they're praying for me, he said, I'm like looking down. I'm kind of looking at my kids like, what the, you know, what, what's going on here? You know, he's trying to figure this out. And they started praying for him. And a word of prophecy went forth, okay, and said, this is three, four years ago, two, three years ago. And the word said, the Lord is raising you up, and he's going to bring you back home, and you will lead your people to greatness. Now, something along those lines. He said, my dream was always to be the head coach at LSU. And he said, you, you're gonna, he's going to bring you home, and you're going to lead your people. And so, now this is funny because pa- pastors are all, like, excited, you know, when we're all LSU fans, LSU pastors, right? That's what we feel like we are. And everybody's like, that's awesome. I leaned to the pastor next to me. I said, you know, but if he loses this time, we're going to be like, well, God's done with you. You know, we'll see you. <laughs> God's lead somebody else our way. It's just like it's football right? after all. It's college football. <laughs> but, but he was like, uh, the, the prophecy, was, and he was, just, and what I'm saying is, 
I appreciated the fact that that pastor, that team, took this man who didn't quite get it, laid hands on him, and said, Thus saith the Lord. Boldness. Do you know what I'm saying? Paul goes to Publius' father. Stand with me right now. Goes to Publius' father, who is sick with dysentery and a fever, and, and lays hands on him. Now, he is the man that did not swell up like a puffer fish and fall over dead. So he's got a little clout. I mean, the centurion has said, you need to keep your eyes on Paul like he's special. And he lays hands on the man, and the Bible said, healed him. Would God have healed him had Paul not been bold enough to walk in that situation just like a boss and take those hands that were ordained for this moment and laid them on that man and said in the name of Jesus Christ, I speak healing over you. Would it have happened had he not been bold enough? God had led him to that point and the boldness that he had in his heart took him the rest of the way. Let me tell you something. There's some people God's wanting to connect you to. God only knows the people. There's some students that are keys to the rest of the student body. There's some co-workers that are keys to the rest of your workers, your co-workers. There are some judges, Anthony, that are key to other judges in that whole network of, of judges in the judiciary. There, there, are, there are people that you work with in IT, maybe just other parents. There are super connectors. When we started LifePoint, we found one of them. His name was Gabriel Johnson. Had no idea. Met him in Texas, came back, and he was a super connector. He was connected to hundreds and, and in 10 years, hundreds and literally thousands, literally thousands. There's over 6,000 members that are connected now to Gabe. And Gabe was our connection at starting Life Point. Hundreds and thousands because God led us to one. Who is God going to lead you to? There's a member of your family that is the key to the rest of that family. You're like, the rest of them, they'll never. Listen, Publius was a leading citizen of the island. God took Paul right in. Got him through the front gates. That guy blessed. God's prepared. I'm just telling you, I feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. God's prepared you for this moment, for this time. He's got you right where you need to be, right when you need to be there. I don't care how you got there. You're right where you're supposed to be. And God can use you to connect to others and do something miraculous in those people groups and those families and those homes and those groups of folks. God wants to do some great stuff. Can you lift your hands to him right now and thank him for his faithfulness? Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his kindness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's people here tonight because God connected us to somebody who was connected to somebody else who was connected to somebody else. There's some connectors in this room. God's wanting you to reach out and connect to some others. Who can you be bold enough to open your mouth? You don't have to be a chicken. You don't have to be afraid. You can walk out there in boldness. God will be with you. God will be with you.